podcast. PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the 17, no, correction, $19 billion promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lehue. I'm joined by my friends, fellow chef, and the co-host Mark Graham, President of Right Sleeve and CEO of Common Skew. And uh, Mark, as Mark is on the controls today, so if there's anything wrong with today's podcast at all, Please send your complaints to mg at rightsleeve.com. I do expect there to be major issues with today's recording. <laughs> I appreciate being about of all jokes here, of course, as usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we to have Joseph Scott uh, with Scott & Associates here on the call today. And Joe is known to many in the industries because he has done lots of education in the industry. And Joe was so kind to visit with me briefly at uh, Expo this past year because his business model I think is so intriguing to many of us. And if you've noticed, there's been a recurrent theme, not on purpose, Mark can back me up on this, not on purpose, but a recurrent theme of Promo Kitchen lately. And that is these additional services, these additional uh, types of services that we as distributors are providing to our clients. And Joe is, in, in my opinion, leading the charge in developing a very unique agency-minded brand. And when I say agency-minded, truly agency-minded, creating video, billing for advertising agency-type services, who started as a distributor. Is that not right, Joe? Uh, yeah, in 93. 93. And what, how did you end up evolving into this agency approach? What was it that sparked this new direction for you guys? Well, I, I think evolve is a really good, uh, really good term because when you think about the, the theory of evolution and the survival of the fittest, and you know, we won't get into, get into Darwinian stuff, um, but basically what happened is we started off making really good money selling promotional products and answering the phone and so forth and uh, started getting involved in uh, different types of employee recognition programs uh, that got to be quite large. And uh, unfortunately, the procurement function started to uh, insert their uneducated selves into the process. And uh, to make a long story short, we saw that uh, that part of our business was going to have a lot of downward margin pressure. So we figured, you know, we got to do something else. Uh, and we have to get into a situation where we're talking to people, you know, the gal whose name is on the door, who writes the checks, and, and basically uh, ignore uh, corporate America. Uh, and uh, we had consequently or uh, coincidentally had a number of clients that were asking us for more marketing-related uh, services. So we, you know, we made a conscious effort to start backing away from larger opportunities and inserting ourselves into the, you know, the two to eight million dollar companies who need the kind of help that we have. And that's, you know, in, an, in a really large, maybe like a watermelon shell, uh, how we got to where we are today. What types of services are you currently providing for these clients now? Well, uh, I can talk to you about the call that I just was on before, you know, this call. Yeah. Uh, it's a promotional products client that we've had for 15 years, and I was actually uh, telling Mark a little bit about it. Um, the fellow that we were working with just was promoted into a director of marketing position, and he's got complete responsibility to totally remake this organization, and it's, uh, it's a worldwide distributor of industrial equipment. Hmm. And we talked about initially our entry point is going to be uh, new website, 
they're having a 40th anniversary coming up next year, so we suggested making some tweaks to their logo to better reflect who they are today. We talked about online advertising. Uh, we talked about uh, even to the level of which Chinese browsers we feel would probably deliver their message best to support their uh, representatives in that part of the world. Uh, PR functions. And that was, you know, the most of the conversation revolved around those types of things. In a conversation like that with that particular type of client, um, are you talking about retainer type services or do you bill for individual services as they are incurred? Actually both. Uh, we gave them a preliminary proposal of a website where we gave them uh, a range of what we felt it would take to do what we needed, we thought they needed to do. And then we had a section in there that talked about here are all the other services that we can provide and an estimated retainer amount per month uh, that would grow based upon incremental margin that was developed by those efforts. Joe, I'm, um, I was reading, I think I was, uh, um, I'm not sure where I was reading this, but uh, I know that a, a lot of websites will, will discuss this uh, particular point and they'll, they'll say that uh, uh, promotional products is such a powerful, important medium for marketers. And I think that if, you're, if your business is, uh, you're exclusively engaged in selling only promotional products, sometimes you can be a bit biased when you spout off uh, um, a fact like that. And the question I wanted to ask you, Joe, is that since you are involved in selling promotional products, but you're also involved in selling other types of marketing media and marketing messages to, to customers, has it given you a, a newfound respect for the power of promotional products? Or do you, or maybe on the other hand, do you see promotional products as being less important than some of the other things that you sell to clients now that you're selling them videos and, and um, are, are, there, um, are there things that you can tell us in the promotional business that, uh, that might help us redefine our relationship with the ROI of our medium? Uh, that's, a, that's a very insightful question because what, what I've found is that since I'm more impressed with the media capability of promotional products, that comes off very well to our clients who have had experience with people who are approaching them from a product standpoint without really any solution or more importantly without a means by which to track the results. And the when we get to your 10 questions at the end, one of the, my favorite word has to do precisely with this part of it about where you, you pay once for the product and the repeat impressions come at no additional charge. So when you put promotional products within the context, there's two things that we find very important. I mentioned the repeat impressions at no charge, but one of the things that we, we get very, 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 very involved in finding out from people what it is they actually do for a living, which is always can be expressed in 10 words or less. And then we find a promotional product that is the three-dimensional embodiment of what they do for a living. And then, quite frankly, you have something that totally kicks ass. Right. That's awesome. Joe, do you guys, have you, 
as you've made this evolution of your brand, have you had a hard time uh, with existing clientele in positioning your brand? Did you have people that no, were, were like, fine, you know, no, you're our promo guys, that's where we like to keep you? Um, or, or has it been a fairly smooth transition from a branding standpoint? It varies from, from client to client, and it sure. has a lot to do with the relationship. I mean, there, there are some clients where we all we do is we uh, facilitate a transaction and transfer the risk, risk of that transaction to our company. Uh, those are usually larger firms, and uh, our state lottery is a really good example. They have a megabucks a big-time ad agency that does their work. Now I'll reserve my comments as to how effective that is for some other day. But uh, they look at us as, you know, we just know how to get the transactions done, and uh, we take all the risk of the transaction. So the, I've talked to them about advertising, but the people who are buying the promotional products don't make that decision. So it's a it's a different it's a shift to the decision maker. Now smaller accounts. Uh, like uh, an example, the, our dentist next door to whom we would sell $300 worth of baby toothbrushes, when we s started talking to him about what we could do and analyzing his existing expenses, which is something else you guys can ask about if you're interested, mm -hmm. he was hungry. He says, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't know you did that, number one. Number two, tell me more, help me. Uh, I went to school to be a dentist, not a marketing guy. Yeah. So I think it depends upon the size of the organization and what was the relationship actually built upon in the first place. And let's hear about that uh, expenses. Uh, sounds like that's a part of the review process for you guys also possibly a, a good prospecting tool or, or estimating tool on whether that's going to bring enough value to you. But how does that process work? Well, it's, it's really it's fun and it's pretty easy. Uh, we approached them and we said, hey, you know, before we can have a meaningful discussion, first of all, uh, I'd like to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and that that really changes the relationship into one that is, quite frankly, very intimate. Because when people are sharing their financial information with you, that puts the relationship on a whole different level. Yeah. Uh, and then what we do is we just say, "Hey, have one of your people email us uh, an output file uh, from." QuickBooks or Quicken that have all of your advertising expenses for the last 12 months. And then we get that and we just simply go through, sort them by payee and subtotal, starting with the largest first and going down to the smallest. Then we go back to the, the client and say, okay, you're spending $2,000 a month on Yelp and you're spending $1,000 on local or social local, have you gotten any clients from those? And we go through this process and all of a sudden they realize, they go, you know what, you know, some of these things work, some of these things don't. So we basically kick out the weak players and then we say, well, geez, you know, we don't want you to invest any more money in marketing. Why don't we take the money that we've found and then we'll apply it to things that actually work that you can actually track and that's a very a very attractive uh, proposition it's not spending yeah. more money it's reallocating money to measurable media hmm. 
which is a much easier to sell when they're already spending that money, obviously. Uh, what about, uh, I know this is a big, broad question. I'm not asking you to divulge exactly what you guys charge, but how does one begin to start, if they decide they want to go down this route, open up their distributorship to become more of a marketing agency, how do they even begin the process of understanding the pricing structures involved in so many of these different um, opportunities that you're selling? Well, I get that question a lot when I'm speaking, and what I tell people is, okay, think about how much money you would make you want to make in a year. Hmm. And let's say that's a buck. And then I say, divide that number by 2,000, and that's probably a good ballpark as to what you should charge per hour. Uh, if it's in a situation where you're doing the work yourself, that model works pretty well. If you are going to have other people do the work, uh, you need to multiply that times a factor. Uh, I've heard some people multiply it times anywhere from two to four. So the number is different if you're doing the work yourself than if you've got other people doing the work and you have to, of course, recover all their costs plus make money. Hmm. That's an interesting rule of thumb. And obviously you already mentioned you have retainer clients as well as you charge a la carte for those services too. Yeah. That is correct. We do things a little bit differently. Uh, we like to make fun of attorneys, and, and we, we especially make fun of attorneys when we're talking to our attorney clients. Um, but the traditional retainer is, write me a check for this per month, and I'll do what I do, and maybe there's not going to be a lot of transparency. Uh, what we do is we set a budget, and then people pay us in advance for the month. And then what we do is we bill against that dollar amount. We happen to bill by the minute, which is wow. insane, but because I'm ADHD, that makes me painfully aware of if I'm sitting and not billing my time, right. I'm like wasting my time. But, uh, uh, so, but what it is, is, is our clients get this highly transparent view of who did what and when they did it, and it allows the client to go, oh yeah, that, that, that email was about 10 minutes worth of work. Or right. they'll say, well, now, wait a minute. Five of you guys sat in a room for two hours. That was 10 hours. And the description says thus and so-and-so. Can you help me understand that? And we'll go, oh, well, here's the document we produced. Oh, oh okay, I get it. So it, it, it puts the client in a situation where there's total transparency. And it also gets them very invested in the process. And then once you educate them as to how long it takes to do certain things, a lot of times what people will do is they'll say, you know what, um, I trust you guys, just don't send me that detail. <laughs> now, Joe, are we going to get a bill? Uh, are we going to get a bill for being 25 minutes late on, on the podcast because of Bobby's <laughs> Skype uh, challenges? Yeah. No, no, I, I consider this to be uh, to be pro bono and uh, <laughs> pro bono uh, karma. This is karma, karma related. So well, uh, we're we're making the big bucks here. We are making the big bucks. So, so we're all we're all rolling it in right now. So ignoring all these clients of ours. Yeah, I know. I know that. So Joe, I've I've got a question for you. I I want to I want to switch the gears um, to to look at the business model that you've got because I, I'm fascinated by this idea of of mixing uh, services business with a promotional products uh, product business because uh, of all the things that you've been talking about and I think that it it really turns you into a true solution seller and all that's fantastic 
I know that some people on this call might be thinking, okay, Joe, well, how do I scale a business like the, like the one that you have where you're charging an hourly rate and, um, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many hours in the year that I can charge for. And unless I hire more people or if I charge more per hour, and that's really the only way I can scale. Whereas, um, if I'm sitting here with my traditional promotional products business, it might take me an hour to sell 50 stress toys, and it will also take me an hour to sell 10,000 stress toys. And that's always been the traditional, uh, I, I might say even lazy argument for why there's so many product sellers in our business because it's easy to scale a promotional products business because whether you place an order for uh, 10,000 pens or 100 pens, it's really the same amount of work. And really the, 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 uh, the, the, the main thing that's blocking a lot of people from scaling is, of course, the, the, uh, the dollar side of things. But is that something that you've thought about or do you even care about your ability to scale your business uh, beyond what you have it right now? Well, that, you know, that, that's a, a really good point. And I've actually been contacted by recruiting people from larger distributors hmm. not to have us affiliate because as you guys know nobody would want me working for them for yeah. sure <laughs> but but they're just saying hey we're all chasing the same people and offering the same thing we're interested in your model how can you help us do this so to answer your question if you are by yourself and you're really really good at selling promotional products what my suggestion would be is that in your town there is probably an advertising agency that's the exact same size that you are like a guy and his wife working from their home yeah just like you might be doing and so as not to totally freak out about scaling there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting together with them and just say here's our business model we find people who might be valuable to you and vice versa, let's figure out some sort of a way that we can scale both of our businesses by presenting things jointly, or maybe there's a finder's fee, or maybe you just bill for your stuff, I bill for my stuff. I mean, that's a really good way to scale. And then what ends up happening is it's very similar to how we got into the web business, is that I accidentally sold a website to somebody, but we didn't have anybody in-house to do it. Now, that is exactly the same thing as I just sold a guy a bunch of stress balls, but I don't make them myself. Yeah. And I think that's a very important little switch to flip. So I just, I found this guy, actually, I coached him in soccer, and he hmm. and his brother for a couple of years. He was this web dude that had his own little company. So I said, hey, here's this opportunity. Let's try to make it happen. So I was like the, the general contractor who can't swing a hammer, but <laughs> I can sell people houses. And then I brought in a subcontractor who was a pro at it. And what ended up happening is that as I got smarter about what this meant, and I got to know how capable this fellow was, we ended up bringing him on full time. Because to me, working with a subcontractor is, is a freaking job interview. And the guy is totally bulletproof, smart as heck, and he freaking understands marketing. And that's really important. So I think what people can do is they can uh, 
get some virtual partners of people that they're comfortable with and that they trust. And as they get more confident in talking about marketing services and have people who can come in as independent contractors, I mean, an independent con marketing contractor is no different than a stress ball supplier. Are you, do you guys, it sounds like, Joe, you have a sweet spot for the target market that you aim at. You mentioned something about the gross sales and revenue that you're targeting. Uh, what, was that, what was that spot for you? Well, it, it's, you know, in the multi-millions, um, which is really a, the fat part of the bat in a lot of communities. Uh, but, you know, we don't, I mean, <laughs> here's how scientific I am. Uh, I uh, get on Google Maps and I zoom in around where my office is and when you get close enough the name of the people in the building will show up yeah. and I'll, click, I'll <laughs> click on the balloon and then I'll go to their website and I'll, I'll like literally I will read every word on every page unless there's all sorts of product PDFs I usually don't do too much with that mm. but then I use LinkedIn uh, Go go through InMail and I go you know find the president. Yeah. Here's who I am. This is where I am. This is what we do. I looked at your website. Here's a couple of ideas. And if you would like to begin a dialogue, you can accept my InMail. Hmm. And so I kind of get a sense for how big these people are and whether or not they can use somebody like us. Hmm. Yeah, I love hearing about that process, Joe. I've noticed um, InMail is the fastest way for me to get a hold of a prospect. Um, it's it, to me it seems faster than any other method I've ever tried. Yeah, and 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 I, I just oh go ahead. Well, I was going to say what what uh, uh, what are you finding, uh, Bobby and and Joe, uh, uh, from um, uh, from an open rate uh, to your emails? Oh, Bobby, you go ahead. Well, I I, I man, it's high. I, I I haven't measured it, but I would say it's it's in the ninety to ninety five percentile. Yeah. And I I think it's because so much of LinkedIn is tied to everybody's careers. Yeah. You know, you're gonna look at a pay more attention to a messaging. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. I mean, to me, the art to the science here is who the hell are you, and why should I care? Right. And if you've invested something, and this is almost kind of like, for me, it's like karma selling, is that I'm willing to give them some decent ideas for free that they could probably do themselves. But the interesting thing is, is nobody approaches anybody. I mean, in-mails are so underutilized. And when they get an in-mail, they go, okay, who is this person? They click yep. through and look at my profile, and I yep. love it because I get the feedback yep. as to who's viewed my profile, so yep. I can say, "Okay, there's some intent here." Yep. And, and like you, Joe, I, I personalize every single one of those emails. It, it's not. This is not a mass marketer's tool that, yep. that no. I recommend using. It. You want a quick way to for people to ignore you altogether. That's one way to do it. But I like you. Offer up something of value. But I, I've been really surprised at how what happened on our end. I'll get a prospect interested in one of our stores and immediately connect with them on LinkedIn. Um, and if I can't for some reason they block things, I you know try to send them an email and just just thanking them. So it's it's a great way to stay connected. Well, it's it's also interesting that we've been talking over the course of the last year, Bobby, on the podcast that how uh, how direct 
or not direct mail, but um, just lumpy mail sent through the post has become a surprisingly effective way at, at uh, um, getting your prospects' attention or your customers' attention because they don't receive a lot of mail these days. Now they do, they're receiving bills, but they're not receiving something that's got a handwritten note and has been you know, done in a way that um, would have been common, say, 15, 20 years ago, but uh, you don't see it now. So I find it very interesting about in-mail because it really is just email, but it's branded LinkedIn, and as a result, it has a little bit more uniqueness to it. So. Yeah. Okay, Joe, here's a loaded question. I know we need to get to our 10 questions here pretty soon. Um, and, and this is a very broad one I'm going to throw at you again. In all of your experience in the promotional products business, regarding promotional products specifically, what would you say is one or two biggest pieces of advice to distributors? Um, identify a quantifiable objective that can be met with a promotional product instead of Here's a product idea. You could you could give this out for free. And and what I mean is, okay, we're going to be at a trade show, and we want to give somebody something that has a shelf life. Uh, maybe you've got three different things depending upon how qualified someone is or how far they are in the sales cycle. Uh, but uh, you know, something as simple as you know, getting the old rip off. Uh, wristband and you got to bring it back and you win an iPad. I mean, something that's quantifiable. So I think yeah. that's that's really important. Yeah. That's good. Mark, before we head to the questions, is there any final questions you had? You know, Joe, I think the um and uh, the, the it's kind of a comment and a and a question and a, and Joe, I've told you this before, but I'll I'll let people that are listening to this uh know it as well that the first time I met you, Joe, or I, or I'd heard of you, I should say, because I didn't have the opportunity to meet you, was at uh, the PPI Expo in Vegas, probably like in 2002 or three, and um, there was this session that was how to deliver or how to perfect your elevator speeches, I think is what the, uh, what the topic <laughs> yeah. was. And I was like, yeah, well, what a great thing. Of course, I, 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 my elevator, elevator speech probably needs some working on, and I'm going to go and check this out. So... I uh, show up. It's maybe five or ten minutes before the uh, the session. And there's this lineup outside of this door. I'm like, who the heck is teaching this class? And of course, I wasn't able to get into the class. And there were like people that were clamoring and waiting outside. And the guy had to close the door. And I said, well, you know, I'm gonna have to go and check this out later. And I took note of your name, and uh, and uh, I, I just remember being very impressed with that. So that's my comment. And my question to you, Joe, is. What is your elevator pitch? Oh, well, well. first of all, uh, that session in Las Vegas was probably in a really small room. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there was, but I, I actually remember that, and I, and I actually felt so badly about it that I was out along with a bunch of people in the room. We were out getting chairs from someplace else and bringing it in, and then the fire marshal shows up. <laughs> Whatever. But anyway... Uh, uh, that, I believe, is one of the most transformative sessions just because everybody can do it and they're prepared when they leave. And what, uh, what mine was, what I used to say is, you know, my wife and I own a marketing agency and their reaction there would be, who cares, you know. Uh, but what we do is when somebody asks me what I do for a living, I say, well, we get customers for our clients. 
I, I like noticed, it. by the way, that's also in your, your LinkedIn profile as instead of a title. That is, you put your, your purpose statement. Yep. Yeah. That's quite simply what we do. It's great. That's great. Mark. Well, and what I love about that never... is, I, I love about that is I, I go, hmm, that, that is really simple and that makes a lot of sense. But then I also want to find myself asking you, all right, tell me more, tell me more. And of course, that that's one of the main reasons why one has an elevator pitch. Um, it's like that gets you that gets you on Oprah Winfrey, you know. That's that's what that's what you want. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was, so, anyways, that, that that that's what I wanted to say in closing. But Bobby, I know we've got our ten questions, so let's uh, let's get at it. Yeah, sounds good, uh, Joe. Before we head to the ten questions, and I know uh, Mark may have to uh, bail on us soon. Before we get to the ten questions, was there anything else you wanted to talk about that you didn't get a chance to? Oh, no, I, I'm just quite frankly very delighted to be talking with you guys, and this will you know, sound kind of ass-kissy, but uh, uh, no, I just really appreciate what you guys have done for the industry and just trying new things that are groundbreaking and that uh, will help elevate uh, some people in our industry. So I, I, I share that with you, and I'm just I'm really delighted to be talking to you guys. Thanks, Joe. We're, we're thrilled because we get to meet guys like you. Okay, so number one, what's your favorite word? Well, I like the word inculcate because that has a lot to do with promotional products because what that really means is that means to, to teach and impress by frequent repetitions or admonitions. And when advertising is done right, uh, that's what happens. But the cool thing about this word showed up in the 1500s, and from Latin, it means to tread on or to trample. So that shows you what happens to words after they've been out because people like twist it. But that's my word. I love that word. That's awesome. Uh, room, desk, and car, which do you clean first? Uh, room. Every, every week. <laughs> Favorite animated film? Uh, that would be Fantasia. I saw that back in the day, and I guess I won't go into any more details. <laughs> I have a favorite beverage. Uh, Guinness. Guinness. Nice. Mark, you there have you go. to share Guinness. There you go. Mark, Mark, now this, is, this number five is going to be the toughest question for Joe because he's too humble to mention that he plays in a band and has for, it seems <laughs> like, a long time. But first Mars visit, you can only take the complete works of one artist and author with you. Who are they? Well, I would go with uh, Donald Fagan slash Steely Dan for the, the music artist. Uh, if we're talking about uh, a like a painter or something like that. I love Salvador Dali just because of the humor. And as far as written works, uh, Shakespeare. Uh, just, I just am really a fan. That's great. Um, what excites you about our industry? Well, since I have no discipline, I like the endless flexibility to make our clients' quantitative objectives happen. That's what I get jazzed about. That's awesome. What deflates you about our industry? Oh, the whining. <laughs> the whining. Yeah, whining. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm using the word awesome a lot. I love that, though. It's so true. It's so true. Uh, what profession other than our own would you like to attempt? Well, I, I kind of like the, the speaking side of things, but that would only as be as long as I'm I'm a practitioner and relevant. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, we see people who have been brilliant practitioners 
have morphed completely into professional speakers and well I'll just leave that up I'll leave that sentence kind of hang well and you're a natural teacher I mean it comes out as you're doing things like this it really does come out quite well, well I, I find that slow learners make really good speakers mm. because we have to generate different ways to learn things and to retain things and it makes it that much easier to explain it to people because slow learners will get it and fast learners will get it. Yeah, and I can uh, concur with that. The slow learners also it makes you, I think it, uh, we might possibly value education a little more because it just takes us a while to catch it. Once we catch it, it kind of ignites and it's infectious and all that. That's, that's good. What profession would you not like to do? Well, my, my answer there would be none because I've had a number of what people might consider to be really crappy jobs, but I have been able to have fun doing some of the crappiest things for a living. <laughs> Find fulfillment wherever you land, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Favorite app or software at the moment? I'm really enjoying uh, Just Unfollow because we're doing a lot of uh, Twitter work for clients and it really helps us kind of separate the, well, it, that, that's, that's Twitter karma. You know, you follow me, I follow you. You don't follow me, I unfollow you. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's what I like doing. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Well, Joe, it has been a privilege to have you on. It really has, um, and I have taken good notes here. Mark, any final questions? I, I just, I just, uh, Joe. I've always been a fan of yours, but I'm now a bigger fan of yours now, knowing that you, you, uh, you're a Guinness fan. So, you know, next time we, uh, we see one another in the same city, we should, uh, we, we should go find a, a pint of Guinness. Uh, by, by the way, I think that will happen this summer. So we need to look out for each other then, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let the Promo Kitchen community know more about that event coming up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we but uh, well, Bobby can join us, and he can have his Coors Light. But uh, you know, we'll, uh, we, we won't judge. He could, he could mix it together, and it would be like a, a, a black and not quite t black and beige. Yeah, no, that would just be bad. And then I think at that point we'd have to ask Bobby to leave. But uh. that's okay. We love you anyway. Uh, no respect. No respect for the Yoki here. No, All right, well, guys. Uh, thanks. This has been fun. And to our Promo Kitchen community, uh, we appreciate you guys. Let us know how we're doing. Be sure to make a comment. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Joe, take care of yourself. All right. Oh, I will. And, and you guys take care of yourselves. And continued success to both of you guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. You too.